Hey, listening family, we have some exciting news. And we do have something exciting going on. We are going through a name change for our radio broadcast, and we're going to shift the name from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth. And Walk in Truth is a name that I think helps capture the heartbeat of this ministry, help people to walk out the truth, to live out the truth, to walk by faith and not by sight. So we're going to stay the same. We're going to change from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth. Today, Pastor Michael continues in Mark chapter 2, verse 13, with part two of a message titled, Who Needs a Doctor? If you go into a Hebrew lexicon, the, the name Levi means joined, and it means to be joined to the temple service seems to be the idea, to handle the holy things. Can you imagine being this man Levi and knowing that your family line meant that you should be working in the temple and you should be a man handling the things of God and now your life is defined by handling that which is filthy, dirty, and corrupt. I'm sure he lived with that guilt every day. I meet people sometimes in various places and I find out their name and their name's a biblical name. I'll meet a John or I'll meet somebody, with Matthew or even Michael. Michael's a wonderful biblical name, don't you think? And I'll say to them, hey, you're, I'll meet a Daniel. Hey, your name is from the Bible. And it's almost like a light comes back in their head. Oh, that's right, yeah. And I'll say to them, do you know that story? Do you know about that guy in the Bible? Well, it's vaguely. And I'll say, that's what you're named after. You're named after a guy who took a stand in a foreign land, and I'll begin to go into it. It's a great witnessing opportunity. You see, Levi had forgotten who he was. Have you? He'd forgotten that heritage and he got involved in something that promised him big money and, and maybe, you know, a big house, but he was lost on the inside. You know, the promises that society makes to us, you guys, please listen to this well, about when you get all this stuff, then you'll be happy is a big fat lie. And Levi was living that lie. He was paralyzed on the inside and he got up and followed the parallel account and Luke 5.28 says he left everything behind, rose up and began to follow Jesus. Luke 5, 28. He left everything behind. Now, it's one thing if you're a fisherman and you leave your nets or you leave your father in the boat with uh, other helpers or servants. It's another thing when you leave a tax business behind because to my knowledge, you ain't ever going back. You have made a decision that's not just a marginal decision. You have made a decision to count the cost and you have said, these worldly things don't matter to me as much as my soul. I'm leaving it behind. And he left. He left that table. He left the piles of money. He left everything behind and he followed Jesus. I don't know if you've counted the cost, but there is a cost to count. We should calculate the cost. Jesus is saying, I want everything in your life and I'll redeem it. Now, I know... Um, Many of you in this room, and I know, whatever we have given up for the Lord, what has he done in your life? He's multiplied things in my life. Things that I thought were so important, I just had to hold on to. He's actually just replaced them with things a thousand times better. Things like hope, peace, a clean conscience, a good marriage, uh, uh, hopefully a testimony that is respectable. See, these are the things that really matter in life. These are the things that are going to last in life. This, this is what the kingdom of God is about. And so Matthew's a happy camper. He's been healed on the inside, touched by the Lord. And it came about, verse 15, Mark 2, that he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in his or Levi's house. 
and many tax gatherers and sinners. Sinners is a technical term for a class of people who were regarded by the Pharisees as inferior because they showed no interest in scribal tradition and they were basically outcasts. So Levi throws a party and those who were dining with Jesus and his disciples, there were many of them and they were following Jesus. Luke 5.29 says, Levi gave a big reception. He probably had a big house. From his house, there was a crowd of tax gatherers and other people who were reclining at the table with them. So all of a sudden, a reception is given in the honor of Jesus. Levi is a happy Christian, and he invites all these people, and get this, this is an IRS party. Can you imagine that? You go to a party, and it's filled with a bunch of tax collectors, and in addition to that, there's prostitutes and outcasts of society. I would not want to give my name at the door if it was an IRS party, just in case they followed up on me later right? This is a room full of hated people, and Jesus is in the middle of them, dining with them. To dine with someone in the tradition of the Pharisees and scribes, table fellowship was considered intimate and even holy, and they avoided anything that would potentially make them unclean. They would not sit with outcasts, with lepers, Gentiles, certainly not with tax gatherers. If you were a tax collector, they wouldn't take your offering in the synagogue. You got excommunicated. You couldn't vote. You couldn't become a judge. Nothing. You were an outcast. This is the party that now is being held. And Jesus is in the midst of all these people. And the religious leaders uh, wouldn't go in, to my knowledge, but maybe they were watching from the outside. Maybe their ears were at the door to hear what was going on in this party. And when the scribes and the Pharisees 16 saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax gatherers, they began to say to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax gatherers and sinners? Can you imagine being one of the disciples? And the religious leaders come and ask you this question. We have no record of their response, but it'd be something like this. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, ask him. Wouldn't it be convenient to have Jesus around and just point people to him? I don't know, hold on a minute, we'll get him. You can ask him. Why? I don't know. Ask him. Well, here's the deal. The scribes and Pharisees were, Luke 5.30, were grumbling at his disciples. Why do you, why does your master eat and drink with people like that? Don't you know? That will make you ceremonially unclean. That will make you, they thought, unspiritual. And Jesus heard it, 17. And Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous or those who think they are righteous, but who? I came to call sinners. How can you bring sinners to a savior unless you spend time with them? How can he become a savior of sinners? How can he come to seek and save the lost if he doesn't sit with them and reach out to them? How can the church impact the world if all we do is stay cloistered in a building and don't live our faith out Monday through Saturday? I ask you, how? We can't. So Jesus is where he's supposed to be. He's in the midst of people who recognize their need. These people knew they were broken on the outside, broken on the inside, but the religious leaders couldn't see their need. Can you? Do you know what keeps most people from Jesus Christ? Pride. They don't want to admit that they're a sinner. They don't want to admit that they need a doctor. They don't want to admit that they're broken. And how many people wait in the natural world to see a doctor 
because they don't want to go. They don't want to deal with the uncomfortable truth that something may be wrong with them. Here's the truth. Something is wrong with us. We are desperately sick in our hearts, Jeremiah 17, 9. Who can understand it? This is the diagnosis that Jesus makes. That's why he's there. Because the Messiah has come not to call the righteous, but sinners who know they need a doctor to repentance. That's why he came. Everybody who knows they're sick qualifies to become a Christian. Everybody. One qualification, you just need to know you're sick. And the issue is our hearts that can be deceitfully wicked above all things. Now, in Matthew's parallel account, it says this. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with tax gatherers and sinners? And when he heard this, he said, it is not the healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Now, listen to these words. This is Matthew 9, 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And then Luke's gospel, I think, adds sinners to repentance. Don't get this wrong. When Jesus called somebody, he wasn't saying to them, you're okay in your present condition. But he knew when someone came to him broken that they already recognized their need and then he would call them to repentance. Repentance, please hear this well, is the key to healing. You see, you can recognize your condition, but then you need to do something. And when you say to the Lord, I'm going to turn around and come towards the great physician, that's when healing occurs. Jesus says, I desire mercy above sacrifice. I don't want your religious feasts or things that you do on the outside without your heart. I want loyalty above sacrifice. This is a verse in Hosea. Let's go there. Hosea. So find the middle of the Old Testament. Go right. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Go to Hosea 6. That's where this comes from. Uh, Many of you are familiar with the story of Hosea. Hosea was an Old Testament prophet, and uh, he was told to marry a prostitute or a woman who would cheat on him. He was told by God to do this. You say, what? Yeah, that's right. He was told to marry a woman whose name still confuses many people. Her name was Gomer. I have no idea what her parents were thinking, unless Gomer Pyle was on television back in the day. I don't know. So he's supposed to marry a wife that will not be true to him, and that marriage becomes a picture of God's faithfulness to Israel, even though Israel uh, cheats with other gods. Here it is, Hosea 6, start at verse 1. It says, Come, let us return to the Lord. Hosea may be talking, the people may be talking. For he has torn us, but he will what? He will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day. Picture these healings in the gospel of Mark. That we may live before him. So let us know. Let us press on. This is a good goal, you guys. This is a good prayer. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. And he will come to us like the rain. Like the spring rain watering the earth. And then God responds. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim, in the north of Israel? What shall I do with you, O Judah, in the south? For your loyalty is like a morning cloud, and like the dew which goes away early, it lasts just a short time, is your loyalty. Therefore I have hewn them in pieces by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. Strong words have come through the prophets. And the judgments on you are like the light that goes forth. Here's the quote from Jesus. For I delight in loyalty 
rather than sacrifice and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. This is quoted several times in the New Testament. And here's the point of the quote. Mercy or loyalty is a Hebrew word called hesed. It's the idea of God's loyal love. It's the idea of compassion and love and faithfulness. It even speaks of a door of mercy and refuge. And God says, what I want from my people is loyalty, not religious maneuverings. What I want from my people is a heart of compassion, not being religious, but having no love of people in your heart. Are you with me? Do you see how the quote goes directly to the heart of the Pharisees? But do you see how the quote could go directly to my heart? I can look religious, but if I don't care about the things of God, if I don't care about people, if I don't try to love the lost like Jesus did, do I really have his heart? You are listening to Living Truth Radio with Pastor Michael Lance. I'm Mike Massaro, and I know what you're thinking. Wait, why are you interrupting Pastor Michael's sermon? Well, I have a good reason. Since Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported program, it relies on donations from people just like you to stay on the air. Trust me, you can't always assume that someone else is going to be the one doing the donating. So if God has blessed you through our ministry, we'd encourage you to go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the donate button. Let's face it, the way the world's going these days, we need all the solid teaching we can get. So partner with us today. That's livingtruthradio.org. Now, back to Pastor Michael. Now his word goes forth and it's like rain. Isaiah 55 is the next place. Please go there. Just a few uh, pages towards um, Genesis. Isaiah 55. And this is a familiar verse to many of you, but I came across an explanation of the context here, which I want to show you. And here's what it is. Jesus' word came to Levi and others. And here's what God's word promises in Isaiah 55.10. It says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout, Isaiah 55, 10, furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Keep reading. For you, those who receive this word, will go out with joy. Here's what will happen. Here's how the word will not come back void. Here's how it will be acted out in your life. You will go out with joy. Think of the leper. Think of the paralytic. Think of Levi and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills, a picture of worship uh, personified here in, in nature, will break forth into shouts of joy before you. All the streets of the field will clap their hands. Sometimes people, they go into a church and they go, should we be clapping? I don't know. Yes, clapping for the Lord is just fine. We should be excited about him. Look at verse 13. Instead of the thorn bush, not only does the rain produce joy and peace, but it transforms. You have a thorn bush in your backyard. When it rains on that thorn bush, does it create a different type of plant or a bigger thorn bush? Answer, bigger thorn bush. In my backyard, it rains and the weeds grow the most. Amen? Can I get a witness? But in this biblical picture, when it rains and snows the word of God, instead of a thorn bush, a cypress will come up. Wouldn't that be wonderful it happened in your backyard? Instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up and it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. The religious leaders say, why is he there at a party? Why are people joyous and celebrating 
Why does he sit among these people? Because they have been touched by God's word. Jesus said, look, you can search the scriptures all you want and think you find life in them, but these are they that testify of me. You must be willing to come to me that you might have what? Life. So here's a party going on. Religious leaders are standing on the outside looking in, and there's something else going on here that is quite interesting, and it's this. John, they said, and John's disciples, look at 18, uh, Mark 2, and the Pharisees were fasting. You see, there's another insight, and I believe there's a case to be made that this is happening at the same time. They've been fasting while Jesus and the sinners and the tax gatherers and the disciples are feasting. We're fasting. You're feasting. You guys must not be that spiritual. Do you know the religious leaders on the biblical calendar were only mandated to fast once a year during Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, according to Leviticus 16, But they fasted twice a week. They fasted every Monday and every Thursday. Now, when they fasted every Monday and every Thursday, here's what happened. Their fast was not so much about God. It was about them. It was about how they looked in the eyes of people. So Jesus said, when you fast, don't not do your hair that day. Here's what they would do. They wouldn't do their hair or they'd blow it into a crazy hairdo, right? And then they would look all disheveled. They put on bad clothing and they put ashes on their head and they would walk around like this. And someone would say, whoa, whoa, brother, what's wrong? And he'd go, I'm fasting. <laughs> How long have you been fasting, man? 45 minutes. <laughs> I was like, what? And they would make it, the fast was about a show. It wasn't about God. It wasn't about prayer. It wasn't about spiritual uh, transformation and healing and power. It was about them. And, and in Isaiah 58, God says to the prophet, when you fast, on the day of your fast, you're throwing blows with your brother. Yeah, but I'm fasting. Doesn't one cancel out the other? As I hit him on the ground? No. On the day of your fast, you should be about the business of God. Do you see the point? They were standing outside the party. Jesus is sitting with all these people, and they've been fasting. And I think that made them a little cranky. How many of you get cranky when you're fasting? How many of you, when you haven't eaten for a couple hours, get real cranky, right? And can you imagine them? They're standing outside like, why does he? Boy, that bread looks good. Why did? Hey. (laughs) You guys aren't that spiritual. Now, let me ask you a question. Who do you think was more spiritual on that occasion? The religious leader mumbling and grumbling and wishing he just had a piece of bread? Or the people on the inside rejoicing that the Lord had saved them? You see, sometimes what we define as true worship, sometimes we think that somberness is a reflection of true worship. So when you come in the church, shh, shh. I read of a story of a mom, she's sitting in a church like this, and she had a little girl, she was like two years old in the sanctuary, and the little girl turned around and just smiled at the people, kind of like the baby dedication here, and she was just smiling, right? She wasn't being loud or anything, just smiling. She said, oh, oh dear, don't do that. What's so bad about that? The little girl. Have you ever had a stare off with a little kid? It's awesome. They just like, and you're like, (laughs) it's awesome. You see light and love in their lives. And Jesus is making it clear. Look, this is not a time to mourn. This is a time to rejoice for the brokenness of the daughter of my people, Jeremiah 8, 21 and 22. 
God says, I am broken. I mourn, dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead, Jeremiah 8, 22? Is there no physician there? Why then has not the health of, my, of the daughter of my people been restored? Jesus is there to heal. And when people get healed, there's excitement. So the Pharisees were fasting and they said, they came and said to him, why do John's disciples, he still had some, and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, while the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom do not fast, do they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Jesus' imagery, as we wind down, this is wedding time, man. People don't fast at weddings. They feast at weddings. Amen? You don't say to your spouse as you're planning your wedding, oh, by the way, we won't have a menu. You're like, what? Yeah, we'll be fasting on the day of our wedding. You're like, no, no, no. We're feasting, baby. And in the Hebrew culture, do you know how long a wedding celebration lasted? For a week. They feasted for a week. And some of the dads who know they have to pay for weddings say, no, it's enough for me to feed those people for two hours. No week celebration. But in Jewish culture, that's what they did. They, had a, they celebrated for a whole week. And even in the rabbinic tradition, they said to people, do not fast during that week. It's a time for feasting, not for fasting. Let me ask you this question. What if the next time we walked into church, we treated a Sunday service like it was a wedding. Would that be different? Would that be a little too much for some of you? Instead of treating it like it was a library, we treated it like it was more of a wedding. That sound okay? I heard a, a faint hallelujah over there. It's okay to smile. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Right? We come here because we are the community of the redeemed. We're not only the bridegroom's friends, we're the bride. Do you believe that? So when we come, we come with joy and thanksgiving in our hearts. And Jesus said, this is not a time to mourn. I know you guys' bellies hurt and all that. No, it's a time to party. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Then they will fast in that day. Biblical fasting is legitimate, and it will come, but Jesus says, now is the time to rejoice. 21, we wrap it up. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the patch pulls away from it. The new from the old, and a worse tear results. You get a pair of new jeans, you have old jeans that you like really well, you get a hole in the old ones that are comfy and all that. You don't buy a pair of new jeans and cut a hole in the new jeans to patch the old ones because you ruin the new jeans and when you patch the old ones, as soon as you wash those, that's gonna fall apart. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost and the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. What's he saying? Final quote. Putting new wine, Jesus' new way into the old wineskins, Judaism or rabbinic religion would not work. Because as the new wine fermented, gas would be released and it would stretch the old skin and break it. New wine skins were fairly elastic, but when, the old, when they get older, they lose that quality and they become inflexible and brittle and burst more easily. 
Ruining the wineskin and wasting the wine is what occurs. Wine is an appropriate image because it makes you think of what? The new covenant in Jesus' blood. The new covenant is the promise that he has come to bring life, not by works, but by what? By his blood. So we're going to sum up right now, but as we do, um, up here, this is not our normal Sunday for the Lord's Supper, but we're going to have a time of communion. And when we do, here's my encouragement to you. When you come up to the front, if you're a Christian, we want to invite you to partake of these elements. If you're not a Christian, why not become one right now? Get saved, trust in Christ for that new life, and then you can come down and enjoy communion. What we're going to do is we're going to come from the back to the front, aisle by aisle. Just use the aisle closest to you. There's three tables up here. We're going to play some worship music, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm just going to ask you to be thinking about this message. Think about the leper that was cleansed, the paralytic that was healed, Matthew being healed on the inside from his lost life. Think about the master in our midst. Think about things that you want to lay down and things that you need for your life. Think about the great physician. You know, he's here right now. He's ready to give healing where you need it, restoration where you need it, but you must come. Come just as you are, but he might be telling you, hey, turn away from this thing. This is keeping you down and follow me. And you'll walk into that that beauty of that new life. Is what I do born out of a relationship? If I met with you uh, weekly, and we pretty much do, but let's say we got together for a cup of coffee, I think you would know the difference if I met you just to meet you because you were on my daytimer, you know, you were on my phone, or if I met because I enjoy our company, you know, we enjoy being together. That's the difference. It's not... There's some things that certainly a spiritual person does out of duty. I don't always feel like doing spiritual things, you know, in my flesh. So I would say this, that if you do what you do because it springs out of a relationship, then you're on the right track. You know, we can we can move to the next layer of this. We're talking about, you know, legalism. You know, legalism really is a word that connects with the law. So if we think of what's legal, well, in a sense, we want to be a law keeper. Uh, we want to keep the law, mm-hmm. but are we doing it as a means of salvation? So I had the privilege of teaching at our Truth Academy. A few weeks back, I taught on the book of Hebrews. And I was saying that the major premise of the book of Hebrews is the supremacy of Jesus Christ over angels, over Moses, over the law, etc. And the biggest problem with the Hebrew church being addressed in the book of Hebrews is that they were being tempted to go back to the ceremonial sacrifices and so forth as a means of salvation to go back to the rituals to go back to the uh, feast days etc now if you're a born-again christian and let's say you come from a jewish background Mm -hmm. no problem with keeping the feast of tabernacles no problem with keeping the feast of passover that's probably what you should do but don't do it as a means of salvation now this goes with shabbat with the sabbath this goes with whatever else you want you would want to talk about doing what you do not as a means of salvation, but from salvation. The means of salvation is Christ and Him alone. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. 
You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.